0: Welcome to this edition of the Disciples Men podcast with your host Greg Alexander and Alex Ruth. Thank you for joining us as we explore the many challenges of being man of faith in these challenging times. Disciples Men is a ministry of Disciples Home Missions of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, in the U.S. and Canada. Let's listen in today's conversation. Well, hello everyone.
1: This is uh, Alex Ruth. Your Assistant Director of Disciples Men, glad to be with you on another edition of our podcast. And I have with us, um, as always, our Director of Disciples Men, Greg Alexander. Greg, good to have you with us.
0: Hey, Alex. Always great to be with you. I hope you're doing well, surviving uh, the kind of uh, circumstances we're all having to live with right now. We are. We're
1: doing well in my house. I trust everyone in your uh, family is doing well as well.
0: We're doing great. Thanks.
1: With us this afternoon, we also have a special guest. I'm really excited about this conversation. We have the Director of Disciples Women, Pat Donahue, with us. So, Pat, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you. It's good to be here.
1: Well, uh, Pat, um, we'd like to start out today, I'd like to start out today, Uh, By getting to know you a little bit better, usually when we interview someone, Greg and I, we like to find out their history with Disciples Men, Um, but let's start, rather, uh, with your history with Disciples Women. Tell us a little bit about what led you to where you are today.
2: Okay, well, um, this is my 10th year as the Executive Director of Disciples Women. Um, I was previously a youth pastor, a co-pastor, a senior pastor. I was raised in the Disciples of Christ. I attended a Presbyterian seminary. I did my doctor work at a Methodist school, so I got a little bit of everything in there. Um, also, um, with women's ministries, I started out as a study director in um, Pennsylvania, and then I was the worship director in the Capital Area region. And when the position of executive director opened up, I had a couple different people call and say, hey, I just saw the job description. This sounds like it was meant for you. And I, of course, said, Indiana doesn't sound like fun. But, <laughs> <laughs> but when I read the uh, the description of the ministry, I knew that that, that was my call. Um, and so put my name in and I'm and, and just so blessed to be in this ministry. Uh, my doctoral project um, was called the Tell Project. It was the same year that the General Assembly's uh, theme was Tell. Um, so for us, the Tell Project was tangible expressions of the Lord's love. Um, from the time that I began uh, women's ministries, um, congregation, region, um, and now in the general church, I hear the complaint a lot that young women aren't participating. Right. And so we have had many of those um, conversations about, you know, one of the issues is that we invite them, invite young women to come and do what we're doing. And um, if they don't, aren't interested in what we're doing, then we put the blame on them instead of realizing that, that it's on us to find out what they're excited about and to walk alongside them. So the Tell project was um, doing uh, tangible expressions of uh, love for specifically younger women um, like doing laundry for college students, um, giving Starbucks cards to college students. Um, when someone had a baby, you know, just show up with dinner. I mean, the women, of course, once you turn it over to them, they come up with amazing projects. I mean, I could talk to you for the half hour just about that. <laughs> um, but the idea was to, to start a relationship with some of the younger women just so that we have not only the opportunity to build the relationship, but the opportunity to listen to what they're excited about and to uh, find things that, that we can walk beside and, and support them rather than just expecting them to show up to what we already plan.
1: That's a, that's exciting. I, I uh, think we've, we, we've hit on some similar ground already. That's something that I know Greg and I have talked about um, this, this desire to engage um, younger people that we hear in the church uh, for your Uh, context, younger women for our context, younger men. And oftentimes that uh, consists of that model of let's bring them in to do what we've always done. Uh, It's really refreshing to to think about that differently.
2: Yeah, we've had, of course, we've had the model that's been around since my grandmother's time of the midweek tea and Bible study. Um, And obviously that's not going to work for women who work during the day. So, you know, one of the easy things, of course, is to have uh, meeting times and gatherings that are sometime other than midday, um, that are doing something other than than that. I mean, we've tried to branch out and and meet in different locations, you know, meet for different topics. And, and we also find that women today are so busy that they really often don't want another meeting. Um, but if we are getting together to do something meaningful, um, then they're all over that. Right.
0: Pat, I'm curious, uh, you, you know, the setup for our office, your office uh, uh, in our in our collective ministries. Uh, Alex and I share a position, a part time position. And um, but disciples women have a lot more strength and a lot more staffing. Can you kind of share how how your staff is is uh, set up at this particular time?
2: Yeah, well, um, let me say that it, we used to be a very large staff. There used to be like 12 people. You know, we had a, a director of clergy women, and we had a justice director, and uh, I don't know. This is long before my time, but <laughs> like uh, much of the church, you know, um, with um, both the church itself and the the uh, funds shrinking, um, things had to be redefined. People had to take on multiple focuses or foci, depending upon if you want to be uh, <laughs> Latin or not. Um, so the the um, staff has continued to shrink, and now we have two program staff. That's myself, and uh, Cheslin Nicholson is our uh, program director and merger staff, and then we have two halftime support staff. So basically, we, we are carrying three staff, and as you, as you pointed out, you know, the women have been organized now for, this is our 144th year, uh, no that's not right, 146th year, um, so they've been organizing for a while, and uh, even back in 1874 when they first formed, they, uh, they came up with uh, funds and ways to organize those funds and share them in uh, missionaries and all sorts of ministries at that point, and so kind of became the, uh, the early point for um, ministries abroad. Uh, when the church was was kind of, oh, I, I hate to use the term slacking off, but I'll use that one. Um, <laughs> but they just didn't have the funds anymore to support global ministries, and and uh, our founders said, you know, this this is not okay. You know, we as Christians we are called to to take the good news other places, and so that's that was kind of our birth was was finding ways to um, support those ministries around the world. Um, And, of course, you may or may not know that um, women were also the founders of what's now the National Benevolent Association, Uh, the same way, you know, in St. Louis, women were walking over and around the orphans to get to church and knew that that was not okay. So they started uh, the social services part of of what is now uh, National Benevolent Association. So our whole history is about um, taking care of people and sharing the good news.
0: For people who may not be familiar with the disciples uh, and the disciples' women's story, uh, it, is, it is something to behold to see that almost all the mission in one way or another that the disciples have done that are doing today or have done historically initiated with the work of women in the church. And that exactly. can't get lost. Um, I, I've admired and uh, somewhat envied with, with men's work Uh, the commitment that women have had to mission uh, throughout my ministry. And uh, again, as you've pointed out for now, 146 years. And, and so um, my thanks to you for the legacy you preserve uh, and with disciple women, without, without disciple women, there'd be no disciples. And so thank you for, for the witness you continue to do.
2: Thank you. Um, I, I would like to add to that, that last year we had the opportunity to, be part of the Commission on the Status of Women at the UN, Uh, you know, 193 countries um, get together. And while that's happening, the NGOs meet at the same time. And there are thousands of us that were able to gather. And we had uh, six or eight training sessions every day for two weeks. Um, And what we learned there that that has really um, kind of taken the, the attention of our focus right now, and that is Uh, focusing on reducing the vulnerability of women and girls around the world. Um, That a lot of women who, you know, we've been doing anti-human trafficking for over 10 years now. And one of the main reasons globally that, that women are vulnerable to that is because they're vulnerable to other things. Like when a family doesn't have fresh water, it's the women and girls who have to spend the day to go get that water for the family. And so that often means then that the, the girls don't get to go to school. So they don't get educated, so they can't take care of themselves. Um, plus, often where they go to get the water is in dangerous places, so they get attacked or become victims of trafficking. Um, and now, of course, with the COVID-19 going on, they may not even have the capacity to have water, to have clean water to wash their hands. That um, It's the women who, who sell the agricultural products and so, when they can't do that, basically their families starve. So, um, as bad as the situation is for women and girls around the world with COVID nineteen, it's really hitting them much harder than than any of us can imagine.
0: Again, those are some of the stories that don't that do not get shared, and uh, and I so appreciate the fact that you brought that to our attention. As you know, uh, Alex and I have now been we've been with. Uh, Disciples men for just a little over a year and um, inherited uh, a system that um, I won't say it was broken, but I think it was fighting, uh, working hard to find new direction. I've been with the men's work now since 1993 in some capacity, and so it's been a passion of mine, but I'm also aware that over the time that the history, that the relationship between Disciples men and Disciples women um, has been um, somewhat of a challenge, uh, for both, both, uh, constituencies. And I, we wanted to have some on, honest conversation with you and just kind of ask, you know, in your 10 years that, well, 10 years within this position, but with your time with women's ministry, what are some of the places of real frustration for you when it comes to, to, um, however men's ministry is expressed?
2: Well, um, I don't know, uh, frustrations may not be the word I would use, but I think there are definitely missed opportunities. Um, I like um, a lot of our uh, ministry within disciples, not not just men specifically, but uh, the interactions in the church, uh, it's often sometimes things as small as the language that's used, Um mm-hmm. Uh, when women are are marginalized or dehumanized or even infantilized by the kind of language that is used toward them. Um, For instance, I um, was in a meeting where someone referred to the women's group as the bitch and stitch. Um, And I know I was like, wait, wait, stop. We're going to have to have this conversation. Um, And I fear that there are, there is that, um, Look, sometimes that that the women's groups um, that they don't really understand what it means to be a disciples woman. That it's not just the the way it used to be, or way, way it was perceived as just being a Bible study midweek. That women are serving, women are are uh, evangelizing, women are doing things, um, movers and shakers, as we just talked about. You know, with mission throughout disciples history. Um, and it's when that gets ignored that that. Um, that women tend to get um frustrated to use your word is um where they aren't seen as leaders even though they are leaders in everything they are doing, but when they get into the to the mix of men and women they again they often get kind of pushed to the side um, so that's it, not necessarily organized disciples men but just you know interactions between men and women in general and and it's a reflection of our society
1: yes, it is a reflection of our society i've got uh, a number of um, friends in ministry who are women, and I hear again and again these stories of somebody calling up to the church, and it's as simple as looking to speak to the pastor when the pastor is the one who answers the phone.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And and we, I mean, it's, again, we we reflect our society. That doesn't mean we have to, but we often do. And and. For me, it's something as simple as like when I watch the Olympics. You know, they have men skiing and they have ladies skiing. Ah. Um, so you know, growing up in the the '70s, when I was a, a big in my 20s and and um, becoming a, an an actual adult, it felt um, and and in the um, women's movement then, uh, the term "ladies" became very um, uh, like a prickly part because it sounds like "ladies" means you know we're going to pat you on your little head and this is how you should behave. So, mm-hmm. so when that's used in beside men, it feels um, like that's somehow setting up a hierarchy. Um, so when when we talk that way and use that use things that way, then we kind of um, set ourselves up to say women are somehow less. And of course, when we've been working so hard uh, in the anti-trafficking thing, you know that the more you can marginalized dehumanize or infantilize women the easier it is to victimize them because you can you know say that they're somehow less and and so mm. you know deserving of less i guess mm.
0: where where would you say are some of the places that uh, you found men to be uh, again from a ministry standpoint where you found men to be um, a real blessing to the cause to the various um, uh, causes that women are embracing in the church well
2: um I will say first of all um, that when I was in seminary, it was Disciples Men who gave me the stipend to help buy my books in seminary, um, and Disciples Men was the only uh, group that that helped buy my books. So I uh, have always been appreciative of Disciples Men for that. Um, but uh, even just most recently, to hear um, both you and Alex um, have your conversations about that, you clearly um, illustrate that you have an understanding of the, the damage that the patriarchy does, not just to women, but also to men, that mm-hmm. we set expectations on men that aren't fair to men. Um, men shouldn't have to be this or that. Um, and and I appreciate the fact that, that you have that recognition that, that patriarchy isn't healthy for, for any of us. Um, also, that both of you have, have said you have an interest in working with Disciples Women, um, Um, You know, there was the, as you pointed out, there was the kind of the old view of where we were set up uh, like we were in competition with each other, um, which then causes resentment. You know, and that's that's never going to be healthy um, in the church or anywhere else. If we if we feel like we're working against each other when we know we're both healthier when we work together. But um, serving on the the general cabinet, I know when I first got there, there was uh, Sharon myself, and then a room full of men. Mm. Um, and and frankly, when I started 10 years ago, the cabinet didn't have a very good uh, reputation um, for, for working well together. But I have found a completely different thing in, in my time with the cabinet. Um, the men who are presidents of other uh, ministries have been extremely supportive have uh, been very excited about the partnering in different ministries. Um, and uh, Gary Kidwell, who's the president of CCF, will tell a story on himself about hearing me talk um, in many cabinet meetings about human trafficking and how um, pervasive it is, you know, that it's, there are people sitting in our pews who are being trafficked and we don't recognize it. Um, and he said he had a hard time believing what he heard and then he continued to hear it other places, and he did his own research, and then was convicted because he he said, "Oh my goodness, I should have been paying attention to what she said." Um, and now, like the foundation is careful about who they invest with, they make sure that they don't invest in uh, companies that support trafficking, and you know they're working on that throughout all the places they invest, and now they're. They've um, even started a new fund named for um, the Bostic Fund, named for one of the first African American women to be ordained in the Disciples. Um, so it's it's really amazing to see the work that that other ministries are doing um, because of the relationships we have, where they they can hear the issues we have and and they respond to them. So I've been really excited about that. You know, the pension fund's really careful now about spouses and covering that which you know used to be primarily women were the spouses um, but it's not always that way now but um, just you know I could start naming uh, several um, situations where it's obvious that uh, the ministries led by men are more than anxious to to partner and support and are becoming more and more aware of different struggles that women have and certainly, when I've been sharing our experience with the, um, uh, the UN's commission, um, they've really responded well to the, to the situation of women and girls around the world. So, um, I think we have a lot of things. I think there are things, more things we could do. Um, I think there's always that case. Um, but I also know that we're both up to our ears in our own ministries. And so, you know, it's something we have to be very, um, a focus to do i mean it's not something that's going to happen easily we're going to have to spend some time doing it um, back in 2013 we had talked to disciples men um, they had suggested the leaders at that point had suggested that we have a joint meeting um, like when we had our uh, quadrennial assembly they wanted to meet at the same time you know so we had some bargaining power with numbers um, so we were hoping to do that in 2018 but You may or may not know that um, the attendance at quadrennial fell off so far um, that the numbers got so low, and um, we ended up losing money on the last one. So we had to stop having them. So we never had that that opportunity to meet together. And I was pretty excited about what that might hold for us if we could, you know, in the good old days when the quadrennial was four thousand people, you know, if we could. Could meet at the same time as the men and maybe have that draw to, to help um, men's um, meeting get larger too. Um, and we were clear that we would meet at the same time and not necessarily always together because the men and the women neither one wanted to always be together. You know, we can right. do that at general right. Yeah. <laughs> so clearly we have other topics you know that we want to cover that are focused on on women's um, activities. But now we're focusing more on um, interregional meetings um, smaller meetings that are that are more uh, sustainable.
0: Well it's regrettable that that opportunity was not there. That would have been an exciting time uh, certainly for the men and I trust for the women as well uh, to, to have shared uh, that experience. Uh, you know what the disciples men is kind of divided up into two groups. One is the General Conference of Disciple men which is uh, historically has sort of been the program side of disciples men. And then uh, the work that Alex and I are doing in the Office of Disciples Men that shares, you know, um, a, a kind of a place with you there in Indianapolis. Um, we are more interested or have been focusing on root causes, developing curriculum and stuff that help men begin to identify some of these uh, historic uh, cultural uh, elements that have made us uh, embracers of patriarchy and and the various other kinds of dimensions that, you know, that, um get in the way of our own spiritual development as well as our our relationship with women and um, so we're we're excited that we have a chance to to kind of do both and stretch our resources in such a way that we can focus curriculum wise on root causes in the congregational settings and then also to find ways of partnering i think we uh, have a continuing or, or having, we'll have a continuing conversation about how we help with uh, uh, domestic abuse. Uh, um, that conversation we started uh, and then um, with all the stuff that's been going on of late, we haven't had a chance to follow up on that. But I do hope that we have an opportunity to continue to find ways uh, to share in, in the justice dimensions of ministry that impacts certainly women, but also men.
2: Absolutely. I, and I would, um, encourage you, I may have already done this, but I encourage you again to, um, add to whatever programs or, or uh, focus you do that, that part of, um, helping all this is for men to talk to their sons so that, that sons aren't trying to unthink something they've learned to think or, or, um, try to back up something you know, rather than, um, trying to undo something is, is learning from the get go about equality and, and right. you know, that women are strong and powerful. They're not, you know, they don't need to be rescued and that sort of thing.
0: Which I do have, that raises a question for me. Um, you know My kids are grown. I've got, uh, I've got three granddaughters and a grandson and my oldest granddaughter is 14. My observation is, is that um, their, their world is, is the the, the the playing field is much more level in some ways for them than what you know you or I knew growing up uh, how it was then and and I don't know if that's if that's a, a false perception or not what's what's your read when you're looking at the at the you know the young people today uh, are they are they truly experiencing something radically different in way of attitudes cultural Understandings than what uh, what was the case years gone by.
2: Oh, I, I totally agree. I think it's it's very different, but I also think that that part of the issue is that that they have to deal with us. Um, so while their thinking is is more uh, open and they recognize the the quality better, they're still getting messages from from people in our age groups and your, my age group and your age group, and and you know I. I understand from different studies I've seen that it's actually people in their 40s who uh, tend to to kind of cling to the old ways more than, than people who are more my seasoned age um, that that sometimes we try to send them those messages. We don't do it on purpose, but we send those messages even though they see something very different. Their experience is quite different, as you point out, that, that you know, men and women, uh, boys and girls, you know, can do a lot of the same things you know that they have strength and power and and leadership skills but sometimes our society kind of um, undoes what what they see for themselves Um, so again I think the language we use can can be a a really big help that way Um, and one of the things we've been trying to do especially since the commission on the status of women is to to encourage women to get um, self-defense training Um, you know with too long, at least uh, again for, for people. in when I was growing up is that women were seen as uh, damsels in distress that had to be rescued. So you had to have a strong man to save you. And the, the reality is if you're being attacked, you don't have time to wait for that. You know, you have to be able to defend yourself. So we're, yeah. we're trying to encourage that too. And I think that's one of those things if we can, can start that with our, our girls um, and, and young women, that uh, you know that that's if they realize from from an early age that they have power and they you behave differently when you when you have that kind of confidence and that I think that also will help young men to see see that women you know can stand up for themselves that they're strong that they they have a lot of things they can do that that maybe when we were growing up we didn't know girls could do I mean I know when I First, got my call to ministry. My own family was like, "You, you what?" Yeah, <laughs> had a hard time uh, accepting that.
1: We have a, a lady who was a congregation member here for a number of years, and and she always would talk to me, or regularly would talk with with me about the fact that she had felt a call to ministry early on, but even in the Presbyterian uh, church that she was attending at that age, it wasn't something that women could do. And so she, she denied that call and, and went a different path with her life, still had a very successful, very meaningful life, um, mm-hmm. but was impacted by the fact that, that she didn't know that she could do everything that a man could do.
2: Um, right, right. Yeah, I, I used to um, direct church camp, and uh, one of the, the kids who knew me called me Pastor Pat, and one of the other girls said, wait a second, you're a pastor? <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, what year is this? <laughs> but there were still people who had never seen or heard a, a female pastor. So it was like culture shock for her.
0: Wow. Well, you know, sometimes uh, we spend so much time, you know, um, when we're working the general level of the church, the general ministries is you kind of get out of touch with the rank and file of you know what's really happening um, in in people's lives. And um, as you know, I retired from uh, regional work last year, and um, and have had the privilege of serving a little church as pastor. And I I must say uh, the the contrast between uh, the kind of ministry I was doing and the ministry that I am doing now. Was really quite quite shocking uh, in in the difference and how sort of ivory towerish I guess um, uh, ministry had become for me, you know, outside of the congregational the day to day congregational ministries and yeah. that's, that's why I asked the question about perception is that sometimes uh, again I'm, I guess I'm speaking confessionally is you know sometimes our pathways don't take us to where the the real issues are and, and uh, you know, that we kind of get shielded in some sense from where from a lot of the pain. And that may be just a, a, a Greg experience and not a common experience for those of us who do these kinds of ministries. But have you had those kinds of shocks? Uh, you know, is this, a, am I unique to that? Or is, are these other kinds of things that once in a while you get jerked back into seeing life as it really is uh, outside of kind of the, the ministry world you live in?
2: Well, I think the the way that Disciples Women operates helps to to keep me in the midst of it because, you know, a lot of my time is spent um, keynoting or uh, leading a workshop or preaching or um, helping um, regional cabinets um, kind of dream about what Disciples Women could be. So I spend a lot of time with uh, women who are actually doing the the ministry. So... um, I stay pretty well connected to to women in congregations and I try really hard to celebrate them and and let them know that we recognize they're the ones who are doing the work. Um, As you said, you know, it's, it's easy to get separated um, if, if you're not careful, but, but the, the normal operations that we have, we spend a lot of time with groups of women. So we, we get to have those conversations a lot about, about the reality of what's happening for me, I guess I, I'm, get concerned about the number of women we don't have access to. There are a lot of um, women who aren't, well, not just women, but uh, congregations who don't get involved much beyond the local congregation. Um, Mm -hmm. People who don't even know what Indianapolis is, you know, that it's like, so so you're in Indianapolis, why are you there? Um, That sort of thing where, you know, it's almost like you have to, it has to be an educational point about how we all covenantally work together. Um, so, so I, I do get concerned about the churches who, who tend to be detached from the bigger picture that, that they don't realize what's what there is to offer. Um, you know, one of our most um, successful, healthy ministries we do is the the woman to woman journey every year, and you know everybody who comes back says it's life changing and. For me to hear from someone that they don't even know that exists is really heartbreaking um, because it's been so empowering for so many people.
1: That's another area where I think we've got uh, a lot of similarities. I know Greg and I have talked uh, about um, ways to foster and, and to rejuvenate and begin, in some cases, those relationships between the local congregation. Mm-hmm. The region and the denomination. Uh, getting all of those levels aware of one another and talking to one another uh, is, I think, vitally important for us as we move forward, uh, both as disciples men and probably it sounds like as disciples women as well.
2: Yeah, I, I guess it's about my second or third year. I, I told um, Ron Deggs, who was the president of DHM at the time, that what I, what my dream was, was to have a, uh, a camper on wheels that I could <laughs> just drive around the country church to church, you know, go congregation to congregation, people who had never been in touch with with the, the general uh, manifestation of Disciples Women and just, you know, be able to stop and have conversations. Now, clearly, I never had the budget for that sort of thing, but... <laughs> Um, but, you know, I always thought that's the way to really have the whole church recognize what what blessings they can find in, in building these relationships with one another.
1: Well, Pat, I, I think our time is coming towards an end. I do want to thank you for spending some time with us today. I'm looking forward to continuing to work uh, with you and with Greg as we um, seek to develop our ministries and work together to develop uh, the ministries of the church as a whole. Uh, to to all people um, i'm exceedingly excited about uh, some of the opportunities that we will have
2: good good, good. and i'm excited to have this opportunity you know anytime somebody will let me talk about my ministry i'm i'm good yeah. <laughs> so i appreciate it
1: yeah that is great pat again pat. thank you for your time today
2: absolutely thank you i appreciate the invitation
0: Our special thanks to our good friend, the Reverend Dr. Dean Phelps for providing the special music of this podcast. You can discover more of Dean's music at deanphelpsmusic.com and you can learn more about the ministry of Disciples Men on Facebook and through discipleshomemissions.org.